This is the Santita Jackson Show. Well, good morning, WCPT AM 950 radio family. Welcome to the Santita Jackson Show. I'm Todd Geary, senior pastor of the Douglas Memorial Community Church in Baltimore, Maryland, and part of the Rainbow Push Coalition family, sitting in the big chair this morning for my big sis, Santita, as she rests and retools to help guide us through the serious conversations that affect us locally and globally. I've shared with you before as a member of many of the panels on politics and voting issues and current events, and it's good to be with you on this Wednesday morning as you get ready to venture out for your day. Coming to you live and in radio Technicolor from WCPT 820, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station, and AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. I want you to be a part of the conversation this morning. You can call us at 773-763-WCPT. That's 773-763-9278. Got a good show for you today. Going to talk about the agenda. Going to talk about political strategy. Going to have just a great time and so glad to be able to share with you. But we want to get started with a few of this morning's headlines. In the news, a federal appeals court has tossed out the conviction of former Representative Jeff Fortenberry, a Nebraska Republican, on the grounds that his trial never should have been held in Los Angeles in the first place. Fortenberry was convicted by a jury in March of 2022 on three felony charges related to lying to federal authorities about illegal campaign donations he received at a 2016 fundraiser in Los Angeles. When he was interviewed in his home and at his lawyer's office, he told federal investigators he was unaware that $30,000 in donations had originated from a Lebanese-Nigerian billionaire who was ineligible to contribute to an American candidate. In an opinion on Tuesday, a three-judge panel determined that Fortenberry should not have been tried in Los Angeles because he made his statements about the contributions in Nebraska and in Washington, and he was charged and convicted of making false statements, not the receipt of illegal contributions. If you did not get the latest Apple Watch, well, you may not be able to find it. Apple can no longer sell the Watch Series 9 and Watch Ultra 2 in the U.S. after the Biden administration declined to veto the ban by uh, the International Trade Commission. Uh, the uh, trade representative indicated that the agency declined to reverse the determination after careful consideration. Uh, the issue, the ban was issued rather after finding that Apple infringed on blood oxygen saturation technology patented by a company called Massimo. It also ordered Apple to stop selling any previously imported devices with the infringed upon technology. The ban only affects Apple stores in the U.S., and that means that customers can still get their hands on a Series 9 or an Ultra 2 at Best Buy, Target, or other retailers while supplies last. And, of course, with the continuing war in Gaza, there are concerns about an expansion and escalation to the war, escalating attacks on U.S. troops and commercial shipping, often involving Iran and its proxies, are now causing new concerns that Israel's war in Gaza could widen into a regional conflict with great political and economic consequences, with American service personnel increasingly in danger and in the line of fire, U.S. and allied naval assets on high alert after multiple drone attacks. The rising possibility of U.S. combat deaths and the worsening security situation 
uh, represents an unwelcome new foreign crisis for the Biden administration as the re-election year is upon us. Uh, as we will continue to monitor uh, what's going on in Gaza, the warnings by Israel that its war against Hamas will last for months is creating new pressures for the U.S. as they are pushing for a ratcheting down of the intensity of the conflict. Uh, those are just some of the headlines this morning. And if you are getting ready to head out, here is your forecast. If you are in the Twin Cities, expect a high of 36 degrees, mostly cloudy skies. And in Chicago, global warming is a thing. The high today is expected to be around 45 degrees uh, with some sun and then uh, turning cloudy. And in sports. The Bulls beat the Hawks at home, 118 to 113. The Timberwolves lost on the road to the Thunder, 129 to 106. And in the Quick Lane Bowl, yes, the Quick Lane Bowl, don't know what it is, but the Gophers of Minnesota defeated Bowling Green, 30 to 24. And if you are keeping tabs on tonight's schedule in the NHL, Minnesota will host the Red Wings and the Blackhawks will host Winnipeg. That is your update on sports and news. And now let's talk about some good news. Glad to be able to share with you on this morning. It's been a while since I've been able to do the good news with you, but I want to talk to you about Kwanzaa. Kwanzaa is this celebration that starts the day after Christmas as part of African-American culture, and it begins with uh, uh, a question, a question that allows us to respond uh, with uh, an answer about a principle, the seven principles of the Nguzi Saba. Today, the question uh, is Habaragani, what's the news? And the the answer is Kujichagalia. I know it's a mouthful, but it simply means self-determination. The reason I wanted to share this with you on this morning is because as we count down the last days of 2023, we often get very distracted looking forward to January 1 of the upcoming year, and we miss the windows of opportunity to keep pressing to finish the current year strong. Self-determination is about using the agency, the power that's within us, uh, to continue to make a difference in the world, even as we are anticipating that there are good things on the horizon. It means that we use the best of who we are, even today, especially today, because we don't have time to get too far over our skis and start looking ahead into a new year when we're missing the opportunity of a new day. And so what's my suggestion this morning? As you get ready to finish uh, the last few days of 2023, as we've come through the holiday celebrations and the festivities, here's what I would suggest as kind of a principle from track. Run through the tape. Yeah, run through the tape. Finish the year strong. Here's what I would suggest. Look forward. Don't fast forward. I'm going to say that again. Look forward. Don't fast forward. Don't skip over the steps of making the most of each and every day. Every moment matters. Make sure that you finish 2023 strong and run through the tape. Press ahead and stay focused. Today is still a gift. Today is still a wonderful opportunity that cannot be missed. And if you and I do our part, if we make sure that we appreciate this moment, if we celebrate this time, and we recognize that while we are anticipating a great start to a new year, we have a wonderful opportunity to finish this year strong, then our opportunity and our responsibility is to put forth our best effort and change the world. I want to suggest something to you so you'll appreciate today. 
the notion of self-determination. I want to remind you that there's greatness in you. You're not an accident. You're not some experiment that the divine power, God, we often call in some of the religious traditions, God has put you together intentionally, so much so that you are a unique gift to the world. You are a rare find. Rare finds are priceless, not worthless. Put the best value of who you are, the best of whose you are, on display as part of your kujichagalia, your self-determination and run through the tape. Remember, we're looking forward to 2024, but we're not gonna fast forward. Today is December 27th, and we know that the good book tells us this is the day that the Lord has made. Let's rejoice and be glad in it. Run through the tape and finish 2023 strong, and I'm celebrating with you all day Um, Glad to be able to hang out with you this morning. It is a great time for us to be together, and I am uh, grateful for the privilege and the opportunity to sit literally in the big chair uh, for my big sis, Santita Jackson. Don't forget, you can be a part of the conversation. Just call 773-763-WCPT, 773-763-9278. You can be in on this conversation. Uh, In just a moment, we're going to have an important conversation uh, with Dr. Shanina Knighton, but I want to give you a heads up. When we come back at the bottom of the hour, we're going to have a conversation about the agenda. What is on your agenda for the upcoming election season? What are the things that we should talk about? What are the things that we're not talking about? So go ahead and get ready to be a part of that discussion. I am so glad to have Dr. Shanina Knighton, uh, a nurse scientist, infection preventionist. That's real fancy to say she knows what she's talking about and she's got the science down. She's going to help us navigate some stuff. In in the meantime, we've been talking about the last few winters, uh, COVID and then RSV, but there's something else that's emerging. And so, Dr. Shanita Knighton, good morning to you. Thanks for hanging out. Walk us through what's on your mind and help us get healthy. Good morning. So I'm absolutely just wanting to talk a little bit about the upsurge of respiratory illnesses amongst children. And so right now um, you have on World Health Organization, and I always talk about this, how they actually have like an outbreak report that they put up so you can see what's surging around the world. And the reason why it's important in order for us to be able to see this is because what we're finding is is that there has been a surge of undiagnosed pneumonia clusters in children. And naturally, we know that it is taking on the same patterns that COVID took early on. So if you think about it, When we were looking at the surge and the outbreaks of COVID, it typically happened between October and December in China. By the time we caught wind of it over here and it was wreaking havoc, the first person was dying from it on February 29th of 2020. This is important because when I always tell people, like, we're all on away from these diseases. And as a result, it means that we must pay much closer attention. 
sometimes we'll look up and we'll say, oh, that's all the way in China or that's all the way here. And we'll think that it's not something that can impact us when, in fact, it can. And so we tend to think that things are far, but then if they're getting closer, that's when we start going into panic mode and start coming up with, you know, some sort of intervention. I will tell you that as a mom, like for me, one of the things that um, we always want to do is protect our children. But with children going to, let's say, emergency rooms to get treated with children potentially not being able to breathe, it's important for us to understand that even before this surge occurred, pneumonia kills children more than any other infectious disease. So if we're thinking about children going to school and then not being, let's say, a typical hand, foot, and mouth, a typical common cold, or even the flu, it's more important for us to pay attention to what is driving, you know, these bacterial infections in children. For one, it's making sure that when your child is at school, understand it, asking them, hey, have any of your friends been ill at school? The reason it would warrant you to not be at school. You know, have there been a lot of kids that have been missing? Is anyone having worse than, you know, a worse cough than normal? Is anyone struggling to breathe? Are you concerned about the health of any of your friends? Typically, children will tell you what's going on without telling you. And those are some caution signs that you should be taking because, again, we're talking about pneumonia and their ability to be able to breathe. So right now, just even looking at what's happening, we have hospitals, you know, in China that are being overrun because they're they're spiking, similarly to how they were again before. So I'm just telling people that at this time, no, it's not about panicking. It's just making you aware that when we think about respiratory synctovirus, which was, it's a respiratory illness that typically impacts older adults and children. We had an upsurge of that during the summer, and it caused more children than normal to be hospitalized. And in this current climate, with how things are going, pneumonia can typically be that next wave. As we know, with there being, let's say, antibiotic shortages, with there being the possibility that some antibiotics don't treat multidrug-resistant organisms or antibiotic-resistant organisms, which can be another name for it, it's important that we stay vigilant with our infection prevention and control practices and are telling our children to do the same. That means that, yes, your children may be playing with toys. Understand, kids put things in their mouths. Kids may wipe their nose and then touch the toy because they're thinking more about the toy than they are infection prevention and control. That would be the most important time to make sure that you are cleaning their items. I remind people that when they are cleaning their items, if you use a disinfectant, use the disinfectant for the proper contact time and let it sit. But most importantly, because we are talking about children, after you clean an item with a disinfectant, you must go behind and either wash with soap and water or with regular water to make sure that the disinfectant, after it has done its job, is removed. Otherwise, there is a possibility that your children will be ingesting those chemicals 
if they put the toys inside of their mouths. So it's important that it's a two-step process of you disinfecting with the proper contact time. Contact time is found on the item itself. So if it says 30-second contact time, that means that you must spray the item or put the item on the surface and let it sit for 30 seconds before you wipe it up. A lot of people waste disinfectants because they'll just hurry up and um, spray it and then hurry up and wipe. But in fact, that item or that solution is not doing what it needs to do if it does not have the proper contact time with the germs and with the surface. So again, Dr. Knight, that real, one- real, real quick, real, real quick there on, on the disinfectant. Yes. When, when we're talking about uh, types of disinfectants, what types of disinfectants should parents be inclined to use if they're going to clean the surfaces that their children are touching? So I'm always going to caution that it's going to be what people can afford, meaning that the Environmental um, Protective um, Agency, so the EPA, has a whole list of approved disinfectants that can be used. But I also tell people, let's say you don't have money to go out and get one of these um, famous brands, you know, that may be expensive, then there are ways. You know, we know that vinegar and baking soda, you know, works. There are things, peroxide, there are things inside of our cabinets that we can use to make normal disinfectants to be able to clean surfaces in our home as well. And I would even still um, tell people that because, of course, you're making it at home, you would still want to allow at least a minute contact time of those disinfectants that you would make on surfaces before you're wiping and cleaning them up. So there isn't just one particular one that I would recommend. Um, it's just making sure that whichever one you do, you follow attention or you pay attention to the directions in regards to what it's advising you to do because it's telling you how it will best work and under the conditions. So anytime you see something that says, oh, I kill 99.9% of viruses, understand that if you do not allow the proper contact time, that disclaimer on the bottle will not hold up to be true. You have to follow directions in order for you to get the most effectiveness out of the disinfectants that you're using. Well, we gotta we got to follow the directions, and certainly uh, we want to make sure that we take care of our children. Another thing that I had a question about, and I mentioned it to you as we were getting ready for the show, is that in this holiday season with all of the festivities and all of the eating and all of the celebrating, uh, there's this curious thing that happens. It's kind of funny, but it's serious. Uh, I'm at the end of the food chain, so I tend to pay attention to it. It's the thing called leftovers, right? Um, how, what, how do we handle leftovers this time to make sure that we are not uh, maybe uh, ingesting bad food? How do we know the difference between leftovers and just over? It's just over. Can you walk us through what we should be sensitive to in this season? I love that you said leftovers are just over. <laughs> so I would express that when you have foods that contain onions, okay, and let's say you are one of those families where all of the food stays out. It's not connected to a warmer. It's not on ice. It's just out, meaning you've left it out 
uh, let's say dinner started at six o'clock and y'all still going until like one, two o'clock in the morning, I'm going to say that when in doubt, throw it out. Because the thing is, it's like when foods are made with, let's say, onions, when they're made with fresh ingredients and they're left out for those extended periods of time, that typically ends up being the things that make people sick. If you have, let's say, someone, say it again. You said onions. Yes. Onions is a big corporate of illness in a lot of foods. And so if you're one of those people that um, eat, like that love to cook with onions, that is one of the issues that I can tell you um, is one of the big, it's one of the biggest challenges. Eggnog is another one. Um, Any kind of food, like I say, with salad dressings that you leave out, Honestly, anything that you know um, has raw items in it can make it can make you sick because eggs, onions, anything that would typically be fresh that you would put in the food, uh, milk. So milk is another one. So leaving foods out that contain some sort of milk. These are things that make people sick because they'll let them sit out um, at room temperature, let's say for some hours while they're serving it, may forget about it, then go back to refrigerate it, and then understand, like, oh, my gosh, like, you know, why am I getting sick? So it typically happens with food that has not been properly stored. Um, The other piece of that is, is when people don't wash their hands. I've seen this happen. So somebody might go from, let's say, handling some, I'm going to say, slightly cooked some slightly cooked food. So whether that's a slightly cooked beef, that's a slightly cooked salmon, they go from handling, let's say, some sort of uncooked meat or slightly cooked, then handling salad or storing those foods together. So you're storing bad foods together, you're not storing foods at all, or preparing foods incorrectly can mean that you can contract some sort of food poisoning or illness, unfortunately, that will leave you hospitalized. I typically suggest do not keep food more than three or four days or you increase your risk of getting ill. Leftovers should not be kept longer than There you go. The the three-day rule. We know that around uh, some households. Dr. Shanina Knight is hanging out with us, telling us to keep the surfaces clean, take care of our kids, watch what we eat. Todd Yuri sitting in for Santita Jackson on the Santita Jackson Show. We will be back with a conversation about the agenda. Don't go away. We'll be back. This is the Santita Jackson Show. Welcome back to the Santita Jackson Show. I'm Todd Yeary, senior pastor of the Douglas Memorial Community Church in Baltimore, Maryland, and having the thrill of a lifetime sitting in the big chair for my big sis, Santita Jackson. Glad to be with you as we continue the discussions as we close out 2023. Looking forward to the election campaign of 2024. 
so much to talk about. Certainly want to appreciate Dr. Shanina Knighton for her insights about infection prevention and making sure we stay healthy. Now we want to have a conversation that you need to be a part of as we talk about the agenda. Yes, the agenda for the upcoming uh, political campaign. You can be a part of the conversation. Just dial 773-763-WCPT, 773-763-9278. Look, a lot of us have talked about the major events that are going on in the news, kind of controlling uh, our attention, uh, but we haven't really gotten into the substance. Where are folks feeling like the attention needs to be uh, around the agenda for 2024. And to help have this discussion, to help facilitate this discussion, I wanted to make sure that we had two insightful people who I trust very much uh, in helping to shape our understanding. Attorney Aaron Connolly, uh, community and voting rights advocate, founder of Covenant Strategies, and Dr. D, Dwight McKee, social scientist and dean of the students of the Ma'afa Redemption Project at New Mount Pilgrim Missionary Baptist Church in Chicago. Glad to have both of you here this morning. I'm trying to figure out what's on the menu. Can somebody help me out? Aaron Connolly, what are we doing with the agenda? Is there one? And if there isn't one, what needs to be on it? Well, good morning, everyone. Um, I think I think there 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 is an agenda, and I think we we have to look back to to some of the 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 things we we were fighting for, unfortunately, in in the last election, right? And I I, I think that's a, a big thing that we talk about on, on this show week to week is what what pieces do we see that the promises haven't necessarily been fulfilled? We haven't move the needle for the American people. And as you mentioned, we're, we're looking at a, a world outside of the United States right now that is filled with chaos and uncertainty and war. And this holiday season in particular, as we're still in celebration of Kwanzaa, as we're packing up our Christmas trees and, and waiting for the new year, we see still a lot of tension, worry, and anguish among members of, of our society, and we have to ask ourselves, what is really going to stick out in this next election cycle as the motivating factor for folks to show up, to show out and do the organizing work, to show up in the way that, that we expect those activist groups to, to come through, right? And when we see the divisions um, within some of the, the movement um, and I think we, we have to look at, at what agenda items are going to be uniting factors, not only for the Democratic Party, but for the American people as a whole, right? And I think we, we see those questions happening on both, on both sides of the parties, right? We look at polling right now in New Hampshire, for example. We see Donald Trump losing ground to Nikki Haley, who on this show I've said since the summertime, we have to watch, watch out for her as a, a, woman in this race. She's speaking to a segment of Republican voters who are tired of the distraction and, frankly, some of the, the headlines that, that we see disqualifying Donald Trump. And I think that that's part of this conversation as well. On the Democratic side, we're in a, a fight for what, what we stand for in, in many corners of it. And we see divisions on, um, you know, the, the news of the world and the war on Gaza is, is, is showing some of the cracks in, in our, our alliances with friends. 
And I think how the president and how Democrats navigate that going into the new year is going to determine how um, people show up in some of these key battleground states. And we have to remember this isn't a popular vote in this country. <laughs> our, our, um, our law shows us that we need an electoral college and we have to abide by, by that law. So the math in these states really does make a difference. And we have to really look at the polling and the what's uh, what's on the ballot for some of these these referendums and structure those messages accordingly to determine what's what's on that winning agenda. Right. Um, And ultimately, what's at stake here is our democracy and our legitimacy of of that democracy and great American spirit throughout the world. So um, this is a a really important time. And I'm so excited to hear uh, Dwight's take on this as as our our, our doctor on, on board, who always has um, a lesson for me on the show. <laughs> yeah, every, everybody put your seatbelt on. You can be a part of the conversation. Call us at 773-763-9278. want to hear your thoughts on the agenda. Dwight McKee, uh, Aaron Connolly mentions the uh, the contrast, Nikki Haley going after a, a segment. We recognize that when we look at the demographics, what goes on the agenda is going to vary depending on, on where you are and, and maybe even who you are. What are the things that we're missing? What are, what are the things that we really need to hone in on so that we don't get sucked into kind of this single issue mode that uh, sometimes holds us hostage instead of uh, engaging us around really setting a strong agenda that informs how we're going to vote? What do we what do we need to do? What are we missing and who needs to get engaged? Well, I think Aaron uh, covered a lot of the policy issues, but I think as a black man, you need three agendas. One, you need it as a personal agenda. Secondly, you need a cultural agenda. And thirdly, you need a political agenda. I think your personal agenda should be set by your values. It should be reflected in uh, some dogma, some greater notions of of productivity than uh, just your appetite. So I try to use for mine to be attitudes and set the tone for my personal agenda. My cultural agenda, I try to use Kwanzaa. We should live Kwanzaa out as a lifestyle, not as a ritual. Uh, They give you a real conscript to operate from as a culture. It tells you how you should deal with your fellow man, your brother, and your sister, and what those things in common should reflect in your life. Uh, Unity, uh, self-determination. There's a formula there that if you operate in, it will help us operate better as a people in a society. And third, your political agenda, I think, is you making the public agenda conform to your personal agenda and your cultural agenda. Uh, it is using the uh, the public resources to actualize those fundamental beliefs that you operate in. Uh, in behalf of your fellow man. And so it really is taking the best of your personal agenda, the Beatitudes or your or the, the, the Koran or what, whatsoever, your cultural agenda, 
and having the resources of the, the society implement that as social policy so other folk can have the benefits of the resources in the public square. How that plays itself out varies from event to event, policy to policy, situation to situation. But I think that should frame, that, that thought process should frame your thinking so you know how your values operate in the public square. Well, let's, let's play that out a bit, Dwight, because I think you just hit on something. Because as you and Aaron are talking, uh, we recognize that there are uh, situational differences, cultural differences, regional differences that inform where those priorities might fall, how they're going to be ranked. And so when we look at this conversation, many times the shaping around civic engagement, political engagement, uh, is kind of this this monolith. It's kind of this uh, this singular list that's the same priority for everybody. How do we avoid uh, the 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 tendency to get frustrated because there's this dominant narrative that says items one, two, three, and four are these things, but in reality, my pin code might be three, two, four, one. How do we make sure? that folks are recognizing that the agenda and the conversation about it uh, should not be uh, limiting to our, our level of engagement if we're going to link those three values. What, what should we be looking at going into 2024? Well, I think one is that that's why you have to be principle-based rather than party-based, is that when you're party-based, you conform your, your agenda and your principles and your priorities to those things that are good for the party and having politicians get reelected, having them look good, forfeiting uh, those things that you are called to do in behalf of, quote-unquote, the party so that the party can win and can have power and be in control, uh, as opposed to forcing the party to conform to your values. And in, in, in your priorities, that's what political engagement is. That's what happens when you join, you know, uh, political organizations like Operation Push or NAACP or NAN. Uh, that's what your goal is when you get involved in, in uh, local politics. You join the school board or you go to city council meetings you go with your own agenda, your own values, and then you force them, the politicians, to conform to that. And that's the value of the vote. The value of the vote, vote is that gives you the, your personal power and self-expression to say, if you don't conform to these values, then you cannot get my vote. I'm looking for somebody who can conform to these values. Uh, and so... Like you say, it varies from culture to culture, situation to situation, but at least you understand where you fit in all of this. Aaron Connolly, on, on the issue of party-based politics, we have this uh, challenge every uh, two years where uh, the Congress, all of the House and a third of the Senate are up for re-election, and that usually has some impact on uh, what kind of policy outcomes we can anticipate. Is there a opportunity in the 2024 election 
to maybe recalibrate this party dominance, this two-party dominance around uh, not only who's running, uh, but what policies are being advanced. Is there a window of opportunity and what role uh, does the setting of the agenda play in helping to change that dynamic? Well, that's a great, great question. Um, and to Dwight's last point, I think what's really important when we look at the makeup of who we're encouraging to run for office, the candidates where we're putting our investment behind, whether that's small donations or telling, you know, 20 friends to donate $100 because this person really stands with what you believe in and will is a person from a community, right? These community-type candidates, and we see them in Illinois. We see them throughout the country, and now they're, they're coming to places like Congress. And we see the makeup of the Progressive Caucus in particular in Congress have the ability to build momentum on policy in a way that in reality hasn't been possible within our system the way the way it currently operates and when we we look at a system like our our legislative body in Washington DC in our capital um, it's it's a a very um, established system there is a, a clear hierarchy for leadership positions for influential committees, for offices, for money, and all of these these things are are at play, right? What we have an opportunity with this upcoming election, and um, you know, I think it's it's worth noting that that most of these folks have to immediately start raising money for their next uh, election the minute they get into office um, for this two year term in Congress, right? The, this this part of the system where where money influences politics. And the people who are able to to have the life that that it takes to to represent um, their people, their communities, right? We saw the headlines uh, last year when we we have some of the Gen Z folks coming into congressional leadership, and they weren't able to get an apartment <laughs> because you know they had they haven't had the the type of credit established because they're not a millionaire like most of the folks in Congress have been for the last hundred or so years, right? Um, and we see different types of folks coming into those halls of power, women, people of color, in a way that, that we haven't seen, where, where they're in leadership positions and able to um, influence this process more. But that, take, that takes a long time. What, what I'm hopeful about is, is I see that momentum building on some key policy issues and what we have to do and what the folks um, who are you know, whether you're frustrated or motivated or whatever that looks like, thank you for mentioning races like school board. Advocacy and action in those environments are equally as important as your advocacy on the federal level, right? And sometimes you can be more influential uh, on, on those real policies like education that matter to, to families. And we saw those battles at play in the last um election and many school board races around the country in swing states where these folks are on the track for leadership in higher office. This is how you build a bench. So we have to make sure that we're putting those community candidates up for those places and build a strong bench and a track record of service, right? Who do we want serving our local elections? Who do we want serving in Congress in 10 years? We need to be able to show up and make sure the right people have the support they need to run for office. Because as a consultant, I will tell you, it is tough. 
there, especially as someone who isn't a millionaire coming in uh, with their own money. It's difficult to raise money. It is difficult to go door to door. It's organizing is tough, but it can be done when you have a community around you that shares those values and is willing to fight for you on the ground like that. And we, we have to make sure that we're doing our part to support those kind of candidates. So we have different voices in those rooms. We have those different experiences to say, no, I know what it's like to see a family member working an hourly job where they won't get a pension. I have immigrants in my family. And the reality is this, not what you're assuming, right? We need people in those rooms that have a different lived experience than the classic white male American millionaire. Um, And I'm hopeful this cycle will continue to build on that. Aaron, while you're on it, I, I saw, I think, an estimate the other day that this presidential election may cost, in terms of expenditures, north of $10 billion, with a B, dollars. Um, and this, this kind of an oligarchic effect of who's controlling the agenda um, mm-hmm. I, I think informs kind of a different strategy, right? You talk about uh, voting up and down the ballot, right? Local state and federal races to make sure that we are engaged at all levels of government. When you mentioned supporting candidates who represent our values, Dwight's talked about values, uh, I think a lot of times there's a disconnect that somehow or other uh, you run political campaigns um, on on goodwill. I really recognize that you really have to have campaign resources for ground game, for ads, for outreach, for engagement. How do we make sure that we don't just get pulled in to uh, the folks who can either raise the money or spend the money? Some of it's they're spending their own money. So it's a, it's, it's right. a, it's a fight amongst the, the elephants. What, what do we need to be sensitive to uh, with, uh, with, with a couple of minutes before we get ready to go to break? Yeah, I, I think it's it is possible. I see candidates who have have strong ethics on where their money and in, in their politics comes from, right? I think we have to continue to build strong coalitions and be a part of organizations that have real grassroots buy-in from a, a sense of volunteers and on investment, right? There are there are groups that um, are able to combat some of the the bigger money investment in politics that are just kind of these Death Star-like organizations that have a P.O. box and and no office and and no real people, but have a lot of money to to send out negative uh, propaganda to everybody's mailbox 20 times in an election cycle, right? The the good news is, is, um, you know, that's getting... uh, counteracted with a real grassroots push on the other side. But the bad news is it is expensive, time-consuming. It takes real coalition building, real community organizing. But, um, you know, I, I've been able to, to see it work. For candidates, though, I think it's important to make sure you ask questions about where some of those donations are coming from and really outline what your values are, right? If you are um, at an advocate for health and climate change, are you taking money from fossil fuel companies that are making the problem harder? Because the reality is the electorate is getting smarter 
and they want to make sure those candidates are really following through on some of these pledges of, of their values. And there is a way to win and get it done and do both, but it's, it's a much harder process in, in the current system. I will say that. Run down a list and help, help me kind of think through the the agenda because we know that there are there are a lot of perspectives a lot of ideas but there are some things that we hear more about than others right uh we've got the economy we've got jobs we've got public safety we've got war and military spending education housing but then we're we're here and immigration is is now uh back in the mix and of course reproductive rights but we we hear less and less about Voting rights, to some degree, police reform has kind of waned a bit. Uh, help, help us kind of think through where, to the to the point that you made at the very beginning about voting our values. How do we encourage all of those who are listening and the folks that they're connected to not to get frustrated to the point where they sit out? That there's a place for them, a role for them to play, and it's really in their power to make sure that the agenda is set to their interests. Map it out for us. Well, I, I think the the way is making sure you are a part of that process. And, and to your point earlier, that we are part of the party we're voting for or the entity that we're volunteering with or the campaign that we're, we're working with door to door. And what you're passionate about will elevate as the the more you get involved, your voice actually does matter in that process. As as a as a platform, as a as a broad value system, I think what we need is to kind of get back to the basics, right? Get back to the fundamentals, as as you know, my dad would say when I was struggling in softball. <laughs> Let's go hit some grounders and, and and get back to the basics here, and that includes voting rights. That includes enforcing our constitutional norms of someone who is inciting violence and an insurrection can't legally run for president, right? It's standing up for the truth of our Constitution and and those pieces of what makes America different and what makes it special and what where our hope lies, right? And that includes making sure uh, people have the right to vote and that it's enforced um, and defended and people aren't put in jail for for voting or handing people water bottles of water while while they're in line. It's it's making sure that those fundamentals of America are strong. That includes our economy and our infrastructure and our health care and frankly our um, national security related to our resources, right? We have families burdened by student loan payments, by different kinds of economic stress, while inflation is, is, is subsiding a little bit, it seems, it's not fast enough for, for those that are, are, are truly worried at their kitchen tables. And um, so we have to see some of those, those real issue pieces focused on um, as we go into full election season now. And, you know, more than ever, I think, you know, very uh, astutely brought up that immigration and international relations in general, America's role in the world and how we're impacting all of that, whether it's money in two wars or our, uh, you know, 
investment in clandestine activities in the 1980s and 90s that disrupts the Latin America that we're seeing the impact of, of now in our own immigration policy, right? So I, I think we have to hold ourselves accountable a little bit and also really take on some bold solutions to get these, this foundation right. And the American people are, are paying more attention than ever to, to those uh, little hypotheses that we may have. Well, it's time to set the agenda. Dwight McKee, Aaron Connolly are going to stick around for the second hour. We've got more to talk about. While you set your calendar, mark your calendar, January 12th and 13th, 2024, 930 50th Street. The Rainbow Push Coalition is hosting a peace summit. You do not want to miss it. For more information, go to rainbowpush.org. I'll have more to say about it, but don't touch that dial. Todd Yeary sitting in for my big sis, Santita Jackson, on the Santita Jackson Show. We'll be back with the second hour in just a few minutes. This is the Santita Jackson Show. Well, good morning again, WCPT AM 950 family. Welcome to the second hour of the Santita Jackson Show. I'm Todd Yeary, senior pastor of the Douglas Memorial Community Church in Baltimore, Maryland, part of the Rainbow Push Coalition family. I'm sitting in the big chair, but I'm not touching the buttons. I promise you I'm not touching the buttons uh, as I'm sitting in for my big sister. Uh, she rests and retools and gets ready to guide us through the important conversations that are going to take us into 2024. So thanks for hanging out with us this morning. Don't forget, you can be part of the conversation. Dial 773-763-9278, 773-763-WCPT. Coming to you live from WCPT 820, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station and AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Here's what you can look forward to in the second hour. It's legal Q&A with CK in just a moment as we talk about a topic that I think is going to be particularly interesting. Uh, but before we get to that, let's go ahead and review some of these headlines. Uh, Apple can no longer sell the Watch Series 9, Watch Ultra 2 in the United States after the Biden administration declined to veto the ban today. If you didn't get one for Christmas, uh, you may have to try to figure it out because the International Trade Commission uh, has issued a ban on the watches after blood oxygen saturation technology patented by a company called Massimo uh, has uh, allegedly been infringed upon by Apple. Uh, the ITC ordered Apple to stop selling any previously imported devices with the infringed upon technology. And while Apple has attempted to block the decision while awaiting the appeal, the ITC has denied Apple's request. The ban only affects Apple stores in the United States, which means the customers can still get their hands on a Watch Series 9 or a Watch Ultra 2. If you didn't get one under the tree, you can get it at Best Buy, Target, or other retailers while supplies last. Apple will, rather, continue selling the Watch SE uh, because it doesn't come with the uh, blood oxygen sensor. A federal appeals court in California has tossed out the conviction of former Representative Jeff Fortenberry, a Nebraska Republican, on grounds that his 
trials should have never been held in Los Angeles in the first place. That's kind of a classic issue for those of us who've been through law school. Mr. Fortenberry was convicted by a jury in March 2022 on three felony charges related to lying to federal authorities about illegal campaign donations he received at a 2016 fundraiser in L.A. In interviews at his home in Nebraska and at his lawyer's office in Washington, D.C., he told investigators that he was unaware that $30,000 in donations had originated from a Lebanese-Nigerian billionaire who was ineligible to contribute to an American candidate. In the opinion issued on Tuesday, the three-judge panel determined that Mr. Fortenberry should not have been tried in Los Angeles because he actually made his statements about the contributions to agents in Nebraska and Washington, D.C. And so there will be a new trial uh, for Mr. Fortenberry in the months to come. And as we continue to watch the issues in Gaza, the war and the conflict there, uh, there are concerns about an expansion and an escalation to the war. Uh, escalating attacks on U.S. troops and commercial shipping and incidents uh, allegedly rather involving Iran and its proxies are causing new concerns that the war in Gaza could widen to a regional conflict with great political and economic consequences. American service personnel are increasingly in a dangerous firing line and U.S. and allied naval assets are on high alert. Uh, the rising possibility of U.S. combat deaths and a worsening security situation uh, represent an unwelcome new foreign policy crisis as uh, President Biden's reelection year is now upon us. And so we will be monitoring what's going on with the war uh, in Gaza and uh, the potential for the expansion. With that in mind, I want to make this announcement. Mark your calendars for January 12th and 13th, 2024. 2024, rather, the Rainbow Push Coalition headquarters at 930 East 50th Street in Chicago will be hosting a peace summit. People of different religious traditions and perspectives are coming together to have an informed conversation about the conflict in Gaza and the pathway toward peace. And so we want you to be a part of it. January 12th and 13th, 2024. Mark your calendar now. More information to come. That's actually the weekend of the Dr. King holiday. The holiday actually falls on his birthday. A good time to have the conversation. If you want more information, go to rainbowpush.org. Hang it out with us again for the second hour, Attorney Aaron Connolly and Big Brother Dwight McKee as we move to legal Q&A with C.K. Hoffler, the chair of the board of the Rainbow Push Coalition, former president of the National Bar Association, legal analyst on court TV, and a litigator. Don't get in an argument with Attorney C.K. Hoffler. You're going to lose. Uh, joining her, Attorney Mark Fancher, civil rights and civil liberties attorney, author of the book, The Negroes of Friends Village. We got to talk about that one. And of course, renowned historian, just coming off of uh, hopefully encouraging his students at the end of the semester, Dr. David Gibbs, professor of history at the University of Arizona, all are joining us for this discussion. And before we get to it, don't forget, you can join at 773-763-9278, 773-763-WCPT. Uh, and I almost forgot, and I'm going to remember it real quick, weather. 
36 degrees in Minneapolis, 44 degrees in Chicago. Bulls won. Timberwolves lost. Hockey tonight. I think we touched it all. I told you I'm sitting in the big chair, but I'm not touching the buttons. When I grew up, Madam Chair, we had uh, Schoolhouse Rock on Saturday morning. 14th Amendment, Section 3 says that no person shall be a senator or representative in Congress or elector of president and vice president or hold any office, civil or military, under the United States or under any state who, having previously taken an oath as a member of Congress or as an officer of the United States or as a member of any state legislature or as an executive or judicial officer to support the Constitution of the United States shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same or given aid or comfort to the enemies thereof. That's the issue. Colorado just, uh, uh, the Supreme Court just indicated that former President Trump can be removed from the primary ballot, sure to go up to the Supreme Court. Other states are looking at the challenge. That's the discussion this morning. Is this a good strategy or is this just a mistake that's going to turn into a hot mess? Madam Chair, Attorney C.K. Hoffman, legal Q&A with C.K., here you go. Where are we going? Lead the way. <laughs> well, first of all, thank you so much, um, Dr. Yuri. Attorney Dr. Yuri, you have so many titles and you do everything with extreme excellence. So thank you for the introduction. You know, we did have... It's a reminder that when we were growing up, not to disclose anyone's age, but I've been a lawyer for almost 40 years, we did have civics. People did understand civics. They understood some basic tenets of the Constitution, of the U.S. Constitution. That was taught in high school. It was taught in middle school. It was taught in grade school. We even had songs that reminded us on cartoons of certain provisions of the U.S. Constitution. But in today's environment, it's very, very different. If you ask your average person what the 14th Amendment stands for, they probably wouldn't know what it stands for. They wouldn't care what it stands for, and they don't have a Constitution to consult with, although they would probably go online if they had to, if it it came down to, you know, failing a test. You know, college students would do that. But the average American doesn't have an understanding of the 14th Amendment. But just as Dr. Yuri said, the 14th Amendment was designed, this is a, you know, civil war. We have to remember that there was a civil war in this country. And the 14th Amendment was designed to not allow people who had engaged in insurrection to hold public office, that they would be ineligible from a constitutional standpoint from holding the highest offices in this land. While it doesn't specifically say the office of the presidency, it does, um, it has been, and it is being viewed as an amendment, and certainly the Colorado Supreme Court did look at it this way, that should preclude former President Donald Trump from being constitutionally eligible to run in the 2024 election because of his role And there's litigation and there's evidence. Remember, we've had these congressional hearings about this and there's evidence. People are connecting the dots. There's evidence, public evidence connecting the dots, connecting President Trump to the events of January 6th, the coup d'etat. It was a failed coup d'etat, which almost succeeded, which was an insurrection and some a form of treason. That's not really the issue, whether he was or wasn't involved. 
there's evidence that he was. But with the Colorado Supreme Court ruled in making history, and it was unprecedented, was that former President Trump is constitutionally ineligible to run in the 2024 election because of the 14th Amendment's ban on insurrectionists holding public office, which directly covers his conduct on January 6, 2021. Now, of course, his conduct, he's not been convicted yet in a court of law. He's probably going to be convicted in a court of law, but there's sufficient evidence with the Colorado Supreme Court and probably other courts throughout this country would find that his role was that there was a direct correlation between the events on January 6th and his, his role in that insurrection, in that coup d'etat. So the question, the legal question is, one, does the 14th Amendment actually provide such a ban on a, a former president, or does it extend to the office of the presidency? And secondly, just as Dr. Yuri said, is this a wise, and this is a legal, political, strategic question, is this a wise strategic move for the Democrats? And then thirdly, how do we hold the former president accountable for his actions on January 6th? Certainly, there are cases that are making their way to the pipeline in courts, both criminal and civil, that will continue on for a very, very long time. But how is he held accountable? Is this the caliber of person that we believe the United States should hold office again. Some say he's the same person that he was when he ran in 2016. He just, there's just more evidence of alleged criminal activity and his role in the events of January 6th and other criminal activity that he's, being, um, that he's been indicted for. So the legal question is, is the 14th Amendment, is, is the interpretation correct? Will this Colorado Supreme Court ruling that made history be withheld, be upheld in the U.S. Supreme Court, I think it's doubtful. But more importantly, from a strategic, from a political standpoint, is that, was that the right move for the Democrats to make? And for that, I'm going to call on Dr. Gibbs to set the table from not necessarily a legal standpoint, because I've kind of, Dr. Year and I laid out the legal framework, but politically, strategically, and where we are in this country. Dr. Kitt? Thank you. Um, I think it is a mistake. I don't think it's very effective as a political strategy. Um, you know, it's part of a larger strategy, obviously, of indicting Trump and, you know, previously impeaching Trump. That the Democrats have been following since almost before he was elected, uh, or at least before he was inaugurated. People were already talking about impeaching him. And, you know, we've had two impeachments. We've had four separate indictments at both federal and state level. And now we have this effort by the Colorado Supreme Court to remove him from the ballot, at least in the state of Colorado. And all of this is based on the idea of not so much challenging um, um, Trump at the political level, but at the legal level, using the legal system as a weapon against Trump. And it's clearly failing if you look at the public opinion polls lately. Trump, um, you know, Trump has been gaining against Biden. Uh, you know, Biden's popularity level is falling to alarmingly low levels. Uh, if the election were held now, I, I think most of the polls show that Trump would outright win the election. And my prediction, for what it's worth, if I had to guess, if I had to put money on it, my guess is Trump is, is set up to win the election outright, possibly outright winning the popular vote. 
And he doesn't even have to win the popular vote. If we saw he didn't win the popular vote in 2016, he lost it, but won the Electoral College. And I think that either electorally, certainly electorally, well, not certainly, he's very likely to win. Trump is very likely to win. And I just don't see what the Democrats' strategy has been at all effective. And the Democrats seem very resistant to changing strategy. I mean, the issue, what the Democrats don't want to do is raise the question of what did we do wrong in 2016 that caused us to lose against a candidate who was, by all reasonable standards, a very weak candidate. Really, he was basically a clown and a joke. And how could the Democrats lose against a clown and a joke? And they need to ask themselves that question and ask, what are we doing wrong? What do we need to change in a way of reaching voters that we're not doing, that we need to do? The Democrats simply don't want to have that conversation. There really is an atmosphere of resistance to any internal self-criticism within the Democratic Party that's very dysfunctional and unhealthy and lacking anything else they can think of, lacking the imagination to think of a better strategy, to come up with a strategy of trying to use the legal system against Trump. And the problem with that strategy is it's simply failing. It's not impressing voters one iota. All the indictments against Trump have not really damaged Trump politically, and quite the contrary, seem to have raised his stock, certainly among Republicans, um, and possibly among independents. He's losing a lot of youth votes. He's losing, you know, uh, people of color to a significant, I mean, the Democrats are losing, excuse me, the Democrats are losing people of color and youth vote. And all of this should be very alarming to the party, and they should be able to come up with something better than just using the legal system against Trump. Since in the end, this is likely to fail as a strategy. Um, as it's failed before, impeachment didn't do anything to damage Trump. I don't think that had anything to do with his defeat. Um, in 2020, uh, that was due to COVID, I think, more than anything else. Um, you know, as was noted, the current effort to remove him from the ballot in Colorado is almost certainly going to be overturned by the Supreme Court. I think everybody knows that. And if that's the case, then why even try it? Um, you know, Again, I'm not a lawyer, and I don't want to go too much into legal analysis that's you know, better taken care of by other people, including C.K. Hoffler. But um, you know, it, to me, at least as a layperson, the law behind this looks very thin. Um, if you read the 14th Amendment, using it this way, again, looks very questionable. And it's just not likely to fail. It's just not likely to succeed politically is the key point. The French have a saying, it's worse than a crime, it's a mistake, all right? This is worse than a crime. It's a mistake. It's a political mistake. Um, it'll have all sorts of negative effects besides probably increasing Trump's likelihood of winning the election. After Trump wins the election, he's very likely then to, even more likely than before, to seek revenge, to use the Justice Department, the legal system, to take revenge on his enemies. And that's a very bad precedent. Um, you know, it reduces respect for the law. It increases the likelihood of political disorder. I, I studied political disorder in other countries, and it's not a pretty sight. And I'm very fearful of that happening here. And the effort to remove Trump from the ballot in Colorado, uh, to say to the voters of Colorado, or at least a large part of the voters, we won't let you vote for your preferred candidate if your preferred candidate is Donald Trump. Uh, it just seems to me as a political error that's going to really haunt us for a long time to come. Well, and, you know, and, and, you know, Dr. Gibbs, thank you for your analysis. Many people feel this way. I mean, many people feel this way. I happen to believe, you know, as a trial lawyer, I just believe that, you know, you should use, and not for political reasons, but more for accountability reasons, 
that the court should be utilized to hold people accountable. Certainly, the courts have been utilized in, in the you know in this country historically to oppress people. So it's certainly, from my standpoint, if there's evidence, if, if there's sufficient evidence, if there's egregious behavior, why not use the court to bring or to hold accountability? And if I'm a citizen in Colorado and if I'm just disgusted enough with President Trump and don't want to see him on the ballot, and if that's the sentiment of the people, then I don't have a problem with the litigation um, personally. But I do believe that globally, I think there's not a chance it's going to be um, upheld by the U.S. Supreme Court. And I do think that globally, it may be setting a dangerous precedent, but I think it's another form of expression. If the people of Colorado don't want to see his name on the ballot, then I think the people of Colorado are speaking. That's how I interpret it. And I do think that it can be looked at that way. And I am in favor of using the courts. I think the courts have too long been used for injustice. And so I, I am I am someone who's in favor of using the court to seek justice. Having said that, um, I don't know that politically it's the right move, but I'd, I'd love to hear from Daddy. I, we call him Daddy D. We call him Uncle Dwight. We call him a lot of different things. But the reason why we call on him is because of his incredible vision. He's predicted so much of what's happened. And because of his social justice orientation, where he's been at the forefront of most major fights over the past, I don't want to date anyone, but at least say, let's just say five decades. So Dwight McKee, what say you? Let's just say five decades. Thank you. Say five. Thank you all. Thank you, CJ. Well, the best way to lose to a clown is to turn politics into a circus. And that's the risk you run when you keep indicting and indicting and indicting and and accusing, 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 and having four or five trials on one guy and two or three uh, uh, impeachments on one guy. You end up turning politics into a circus. And so it gives legitimacy legitimacy to a clown, which is why I said early in, as you all remember, that you don't want to make a monster into a martyr, which is what happened, is that as they began to indict more and more and more, it actually had the effect of making Trump stronger and stronger and stronger and legitimizing his paranoia because it said to the people who were prone to conspiracies that they were so afraid of him that they conjured up indictments, they conjured up uh, situations because they were afraid to have it on the on the ballot. That they can't beat him legitimately, and so the, the they've used the government, weaponized the government, in order to neutralize him having a uh, been able to run. So what it does for the people who would be neutral about Trump. It says to them that, oh, there's a conspiracy to take my vote, to take my options away, to keep this, to make this a non-democratic situation. And so now I have a personal obligation for the sake of my own beliefs and for the sake of democracy to stake my claims on this guy for the principle, the principle that they're not going to take my vote away. And, and and so it makes them personally involved in Trump's uh, ascension 
Not so much as because they believe in Trump, and many of them do, but just because now you've taken away their options and they're not going to stand, stand for that. Look, we've got clowns and circuses and hot topics and legal Q&A with CK. <laughs> it is the Santita Jackson Show on this Wednesday morning, 773-763-9278. Join the discussion. Come on back. Don't miss it. We've got more to talk about more on the Santita Jackson Show in just a minute. This is the Santita Jackson Show. Well, welcome back to the last half hour of a serious discussion. Here's the quote. The best way to lose to a clown is to turn an election into a circus. We've got red noses, big shoes, little cars. And the clowns keep showing up for work. That's the assessment. And so the question before us as we look at the the strategy or the tactic of trying to remove the former President Donald Trump from uh, ballots across uh, different states is, is this is this bad strategy? Is it the politics of avoidance? Is it bad messaging? Is it bad policy? Or is it answer D, all of the above? It's legal Q&A with C.K. Hoffler, Madam Chair, is leading us through this discussion. Dynamo Day, we know you're in the queue. Hang in there. We're going to come to you in just a minute. Madam Chair, where do we go from here? Lead us on. Well, you know, I do want to hear from Dynamo Day. Um, I know that he's been waiting, and I'd like to hear what his take is on all of this. Animal Day, good morning. Oh, good morning to you and your esteemed panel. I always learned so much from this program um, and had Kwanzaa to you. Um, one a couple of things. If you guys remember, you know, uh, the last congressional election, uh, it didn't tip to a big red wave. There was a lot of Gen Zers that they say were pivotal to uh, making sure that it's pretty narrow as a number of uh, blue uh, congressional message uh, people, what is it, six uh, thing difference? And it's like, uh, okay, and then do you remember back in uh, 2020, March 2020, when there was a bunch of uh, corporatist uh, candidates in the field, and, and then Biden stepped on stage with Governor Whitner in Michigan with uh, Sir Cory Booker, and Sarah Kamala Harris and said, uh, this uh, is the future of the party. I view myself as a bridge. And it's like, okay, well, when does a bridge end? Uh, we got, I mean, it's like he said he was going to be a bridge, you know, just to be able to defeat this one gentleman. And now uh, it's like uh, he, and then he got this proxy, two proxy wars. Um, and uh, I think the younger generation, they want, uh, they're looking for peace. They're looking for peace. They're not looking for whatever. People confused, you know, this thing. And they're looking for a candidate that can represent peace. And Mr. Uh, President Biden hasn't met a war or proxy war he didn't like. You know, he supported everything. And then what he did, you know, uh, for Anita Hill, he should have been appointing Anita Hill to the Supreme Court after, or he should be after what happened to, uh, you know, uh, well, what he did and not listening to her, the harassment that happened way back when he was the, the chair of that committee. Anyway, 
Um, so, uh, you know, they're just the Democrat Party. Obviously, they're just two wings of a business party, and it's like whatever. Uh, it's like that's no reason. That's why what they say the most people that vote, the biggest segment of people who vote or, or, or whatever is non-voter people won't vote. That means none of the above. But anyway, the Democrats they could position themselves better. Uh, all your guests have always said as much. But when is Mr. Biden going to have his LBJ? moment, as our, uh, our brother uh, has said, that's, that's running, uh, was running as a Green Party candidate. I forgot his name, but you guys know who I'm talking about. Dynamo Dave, I appreciate it. It sounds like he's, he's saying it's a, it's a clear and obvious mistake, Madam Chair. And I think there's a, there's a growing sentiment there. Is this the right path? Are we getting distracted too far afield from really dealing with the issues? I think Dynamo Dave has the point. What say ye? No, no, I agree. He does have a point. I think we are getting distracted. I think, you know, in many respects, this is a mess. But in some respects, it's a mess that I want to say the Democrats created. But I think Republicans are just as guilty of mess as the Democrats. Um, the problem for Biden is, you know, he his his popularity. And I don't know that I trust polls completely. You know, so I'm not just agreeing with the polls, but even the most liberal pollsters are saying that Biden's popularity is is decreasing very rapidly. But I think that um, Daniel Dave makes some good points, um, and and I'd, I'd like to hear what Aaron Connolly has to say about this. Good morning, Aaron. Good morning, CK. And I I I tend to agree with you. I had I had several conversations over the the holiday break with folks about um, the, the current polls and the, the rhetoric surrounding them, right, and how we do need to be careful really looking at the methodology these pollsters are using, the type of samples they're using, the type of responses they're allowing as definitive responses, the age demographics available. Um, you know, we really need to dig into to some of those before, before we make these, these grand assumptions that, that this is a, a full-on crisis, right? And also, to your point, the election is not held today. This is a, a warning uh, siren, I think. It's something to pay attention to. And I think President Biden's team and his campaign team are taking it seriously, right? I think, um, you know, the down-ballot candidates for um, our federal races and our local elections um, for, for state house and otherwise are paying attention to what these polls look like because, it impacts their turnout. It impacts the power of the Democratic Party. And, um, you know, it, that piece of it should be a bit of a warning, right? I think there is time to recalibrate and focus on some of these, these deeper values that we spoke about and also lean into the facts that we're dealing with um, when we look at the opposition on the other side, right? I think when we, we look at these foundational constitutional pieces that are at play, I tend to agree with the account, accountability that uh, the chairwoman discussed. When we look at who brought this lawsuit in Colorado, for example, these were independent voters and Republican voters who brought the lawsuit because they want a qualified candidate on the Republican side of the ballot, right? 
and don't want to be in a situation where their party has a candidate disqualified after all of these ballots are printed and ready to go. And, you know, if the, the shoe was on the other foot in the Democratic Party, I would want the same type of accountability and I would want someone who is actually qualified, right, to run for election, to serve as president of the United States as a foundational requirement put forth in our Constitution. That, that, that's a big deal. So political strategy or otherwise, this is the reality of what Donald Trump has done to himself. And it's, it, I don't personally believe, based on the facts outlined in the Colorado case and the arguments and uh, primary text of the Constitution supporting it, I believe that this portion of it is self-executing. It doesn't need a conviction to stand and disqualify him. He has already disqualified himself, not only for the activities on January 6th, but his efforts that are documented up to that point. That not only disqualifies Donald Trump, but anybody who participated in, participated in these illegal acts and conversations on election night where they were trying to disqualify folks from certifying the election, et cetera, right? So I think... Um, there's a, a lot of pieces at play, but accountability has, has to be a part of it, CK, and thank you, thank you for, for reinforcing that. Um, the politics aside, I think, um, you know, we, we have to look at uh, what our Democratic Party is going to come together in Chicago and stand for. And a reminder to those folks who are pleased or displeased with the direction of the Democratic Party and where our platform stands, there is opportunity to serve as a delegate. There is opportunity to get involved in your party and have your voice be a part of that conversation, right? This is not something that's completely decided by one person. This is a collective effort, and we need to make sure that, that folks are advocating for, for the, the right type of values at that level and that we put that on stage in Chicago to, to show um, a sense of unity for what that looks like for our future. And I think Gen Z has a, a really important um, voice in, in, in that future, right? And as more and more folks show up to the polls and show up in our local elections and show up to support referendums in states that are focused on uh, limiting access to adequate health care for, for women in this country, I think we're going to see even an increase in participation in this next election. Madam Chair, I think here, here's where um, I hear a couple of things, right? There's, there's this balance, right? Political strategy versus accountability. And, and I think this is where I often hear Mark Fancher's voice as kind of a, a compass to, uh, to kind of navigate because uh, there is this, this interesting tension sometimes between uh, what we would consider uh, civil rights as in voting rights and voting access and civil liberties. Where, where does that, that interplay come? Uh, is, is there a one-size-fits-all here? I, I'm almost wondering uh, where Mark Fandry is, because I, I, I think I can, I feel his vibe. Something's happening, and I, I love to hear it. You feel it? And, and I feel his vibe, and we, and we need to hear not his vibe, but what he has to say. Absolutely. Well, I, I think that um, with respect to the litigation strategy, uh, while it may be well-intended, uh, while it might be appropriate uh, morally and ethically and in, in many ways, I think it has some soft spots. 
that uh, those who support it should consider. Uh, one is, is it revolves around the idea of someone engaging in an insurrection. And while we all know generally what an insurrection is, and we saw one on January 6th, uh, for purposes of litigation, you do need a, a legal definition of it uh, that the courts accept, uh, that they are willing to apply. And while I've not read all of the rationale around the Colorado uh, opinion, uh, there is some question as to whether the Supreme Court, when it gets the case, uh, will focus on what exactly an insurrection is. And if there is a definition that's applicable here, uh, whether, in fact, Donald Trump engaged in that particular type of activity. Uh, the other soft spot, I think, revolves around the question of due process. Uh, in addition to what we've been talking about uh, in terms of what the Fourth, 14th Amendment means, uh, there is also, it, is also, it also provides for due process, uh, which in basic terms means that when someone accuses you of something, uh, that you have the opportunity to come in and to challenge it, uh, to defend against those accusations uh, before the state engages in taking away your life, liberty, or your property. And so I think that that will be another question that comes up as this case continues to move in the courts. And that is, if we know what an insurrection is, uh, did Donald Trump know what an insurrection was? Uh, did the world know what it was for purposes of this provision of the Constitution? And did he have an adequate opportunity to come in and to defend against it? So I think those are, those are things that I think the Supreme Court could play with and uh, e effectively derail uh, the effort to try and make this stand. But beyond just the, the strictly legal concerns, I, I think that there's something bigger that uh, everyone needs to take into account. I think far too many people have come to believe that the problem in this country is Donald Trump, that he is the problem, and that if you can somehow eliminate Donald Trump from the equation, then you solve the problem. I think it's just the opposite. I think that Donald Trump is symptomatic of a much deeper, a much larger problem. He is only the point of the spear. He is representative of something that's going on on a broad level. Uh, among the masses, particularly of white workers in this country. And so all of the out outrageous things that he says, all of the outrageous things that he does, this is not necessarily just a manifestation of his individual personality. This is what large numbers, millions and millions of people in this country also believe. They also, if given the platform, would say the same kinds of things that he says. They would do the same kinds of things that he does. And so if you eliminate Donald Trump, then you have not eliminated the problem. Uh, you only have angered millions and millions and millions of Donald Trumps who will let you know just how they feel about how you have dealt with their representative. And if you want a preview of it or a taste of it, look at January 6th. And, you know, to that extent, I, I have written about this. I really do think that in many ways, America deserves Donald Trump. This is presented as a democratic country where people are able to have the person as their leader who they choose to select or elect. And I think that given everything that the, the country knows about Donald Trump, if they still want to go to the polls and put him into office as the president of the United States, then that's who they should have as their president. A lot of us won't like it. A lot of us will suffer because of it. 
But that's democracy in action. If they want Donald Trump, they should have Donald Trump and deal with the consequences that come with electing someone just like that uh, as, as their representative. And, and while certainly I feel that way about people who vote for him with passion, I also feel that way about much of the white left, uh, because in many ways they deserve Donald Trump, too. You know, it was, it was mentioned earlier in the discussion that they have not done their job. You know, I think Dr. Gibbs mentioned that they have not looked honestly at why they lost the election in 2016 and, 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 and why they have continued to lose uh, when it comes to the polls. And much of it has to do with the fact that they have never assumed the responsibility that uh, they should have known that they had, but which if they didn't know, they were told that they should assume, uh, particularly by the black left. And that is to go into white working communities, white working class and poor communities, and analyze for them their political circumstances their political situation, and the fact that Donald Trump works against their interests, that that type of thinking works against their interests, and that really they, are in a better, they would be better situated if they would align with people of color and other oppressed and marginalized communities in this country, if in fact they feel that they too have been the victims of a capitalist system that eats everybody, regardless of who they are. And, and so the fact that that job has not been done uh, by the white left, by progressive whites, by liberal whites, the fact that they have just sort of brushed these people aside, uh, dismissed them as being ignorant, uh, dismissed them as being dupes and not worthy of trying to talk to them, of, of not worthy of, of being talked to, then I think they deserve Donald Trump, too. And, and then the final thing I'll say is this, that much of what is feared about uh, uh, Donald Trump re-election is the fact that uh, he will come into office and he'll use the machinery of state, the machinery of government, to impose a police state, a fascist police state, one where people walk down the street and they may not be safe because the agents of government or the police will arrest them or harass them or jail them uh, without cause. Uh, they're afraid that they'll be censored in their schools and that they will not have the opportunity to get the kind of full and complete education that they should get. They're worried about the possibility of being locked away in, in prison uh, for, as retaliation for having said the wrong thing or done the wrong thing. Well, I just want to say this. That has been the reality of particularly African communities in America, black communities in America, uh, Latino communities in America, uh, and other marginalized and oppressed communities in America for a very long time. And this panic and this fear comes from uh, a belief that somehow now they're going to treat decent white people the same way that they've been treating these oppressed communities of color for a long time. And that is what they regard as intolerable, which is disturbing on some level uh, because of the racial implications of that. So I think there's a lot to think about. Uh, and I think that uh, for, for those of us who, are, who really don't feel that we have any real stake in this, it, it's just going to be interesting to watch. Because to a certain extent, some of these things are beyond our control. The only thing that we can do is to continue to organize and educate on a global level, not just a national level, and to continue to consolidate the organization, the power, and the understanding of communication among oppressed communities throughout the world not just the United States, where the limits placed on what we say and do 
who we elect are basically prescribed uh, by uh, legal mechanisms and uh, laws that uh, we don't necessarily control. Madam Chair, here's a, here's a question that I have just kind of thinking through as, as we... Recovering. I'm still recovering. Okay. Well, take take take, take a deep breath because I'm not, I'm I, I don't I don't want you to pass out because I'm I'm about to ask you about to ask a question generally and and it, it can kind of we we can kind of do a round robin and and, and just kind of get quickly as, as the Colorado case gets ready to move up to the Supreme Court the question becomes should the entire court hear it or as we have seen the questions around Justice Thomas and uh, you know his wife's engagement should he recuse. Where does that leave us just in terms of the process of even uh, resolving the matter? Does he stay on the state ballots or not? Who should hear it? Who should not? Or is this just going to are we going to add more clowns to the circus or are we going to get to a resolution? Madam Chair, you get to lead us through in the final thought. And we've got about four minutes. Master clown. And I hate to say that because I hate to speak of a justice of the Supreme Court that way. But Clarence Thomas is not going to recuse himself. He's not recusing himself thus far for anything. He doesn't perceive a conflict. He doesn't think there's anything really wrong with his behavior. He's not going to recuse himself. He's aching to be on this case. If it does, if the Supreme Court does accept cert on this case, he wants to be in it and he's not going to recuse himself. That's number one. Number two, I think that it will be a circus. I think if the Supreme Court accepts this case, if the Supreme Court um, you know, they're, gonna, they're going to have a full panel to review this case. And if they do that, they are going to, um, and when they do that, they are, they are, they are going to, um, they're not going to uphold this at all. And I think it's going to just be another, it, it's just going to be more validation for, for those who said, I told you so, this was not going to be an effective measure. But by the same token, it's going to reinforce what we know about the U.S. Supreme Court. But I think it has to go that way. I think that this challenge has to happen. It needs to happen. I mean, people need to believe it. They, they should fight. I think it was really important what Aaron said about who started this litigation. Because people think, well, it's the Democrats pushing. No, it wasn't just the Democrats and progressive people pushing. It was people who wanted to know if their candidates could be on the ballot. And that's a legitimate question in states like Colorado. And in many states, it's going to be a legitimate question. And so I think it's the case that needs to escalate up no matter the outcome, because I think that's where we are. And, um, and, and I do think that we have to be in for an incredible ride because it's not going to, I don't think we're going to have any winners in this. And at the end of the day, honestly, um, when Mark Sanchez said that, you know, everybody deserves Donald Trump or whatever, I don't deserve Donald Trump. <laughs> I don't deserve Donald Trump. And, 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 I'm still recovering from the notion, not that I agree or disagree, I just don't deserve Donald Trump as an individual. Don't want him, and I am prepared, just like many people are voters, to vote, cast my vote, have my voice be heard for the candidate of my choice. And I don't think there's anything wrong in using the courts to do that. Strategically, is it the best move? There probably are better moves, but quite frankly, in this country, it's just as bad or just as good, from depending upon which, which place you're looking at this, but I think just as bad, as preventing um, American history, black history, from being taught in schools in Florida. 
I mean, we can't justify that. I'm not saying the two wrongs don't make a right or make a right or whatever, but my point is utilization of the courts in a legitimate way, I think is something that the courts are here for. And so we know what the U.S. Supreme Court is going to do, but in the process, I think people have a right to utilize the court when there are legitimate concerns, and these are legitimate concerns. And yeah, it's terrible that we have a former president who's been indicted. It really is terrible. But let's not, let's not forget, his actions are the reason why he was indicted. And his actions, he, there's got to be some level of accountability. It's terrible. He planned it this way. It was well orchestrated. But that doesn't mean we should go along with his program and allow him to continue to engage in bad acts without any consequences. That's just my view. It's an important view, uh, and it's going to be an ongoing conversation as we look at the uh, upcoming political campaign and as we consider all of the different challenges. You've got litigation on two sides. I think I heard Dwight McKee uh, talk about uh, you've got a former president under indictment. You've got a sitting president's son under indictment. The politics and the dynamics are ripe for uh, a, a contest that can be very confusing. But the one thing that we're clear on and what we've heard from everybody, whether you agree with Dr. David Gibbs, who says it's just it's poor political strategy. It doesn't really deal with the fundamental issues or looking at the perspective of accountability. How do we make sure that we to Aaron Connolly's point, find our point of engagement and make sure that we build coalition, Mark Fancher's point, build coalitions domestically and internationally as we continue to do this work. Stay tuned for more of these conversations in the coming weeks. Again, Todd Yeary, Senior Pastor of the Douglas Memorial Community Church, sitting in for my big sis. Santita Jackson, don't forget, January 12 and 13, the Peace Summit at Rainbow Push Coalition Headquarters, 930 East 50th Street. Go to rainbowpush.org for more information. Thanks to Madam Chair C.K. Hoffler, uh, legal Q&A with C.K. Henry Edwards, thanks for your leadership. Matt Cummings, thanks for your hospitality. Glad to be with you. I didn't push the buttons, but I sat in the big chair. Thanks for hanging out on the Santita Jackson Show. We'll see you soon. 